which you probably recognize as a slightly different way of teaching uh, Buddha Dhamma from uh, might be more classical. Um, so this is just this is just me, and so naturally I'm grateful there are many other ways and means that you can learn from. Mm-hmm. So I just present, you know, what happens for me and what uh, works for me and um, how it seems. And having done some field work, and just you know, language is language, and so to uh, emphasize there are many other ways and means of cultivation, and you hopefully you'll learn from <coughs> all of them and find your own your own way. Uh, even the Buddha could only point, couldn't really take somebody by the hand. <laughs> yeah. So we have to find the hand that will lead us, and actually the hand that will lead us is sitting right in you. Yeah. So you know, our task with teacher is to is to shake that hand. Clearly, there are things one would, you know, like to bring to mind um, as, in terms of wrapping up, there's the, you know, things like the Eightfold Noble Path and recognizing you you can't cultivate only in a retreat situation. You can't compartmentalize. Um, you know, naturally, retreat situations have a tremendous potency and many advantages to really get down to the nitty-gritty, as it were. Uh, but uh, within that, within your week or your 10 days, you get, you know, you've got 50 others to get through. <laughs> and so, you know, even, even in terms of time, you, you, you know, this is just a, a touch point to, to touch that, that hand, you know, to notice you, you have that. And then, you know, to really feel encouraged. This is not something that's only there on retreat. Your jitta is there all all the time. And, uh, you know, things like what I was saying last night, you know, creating boundaries, checking in with yourself, pausing, living with integrity, asking yourself what's happening, you know, what's really valuable, what's important, I'm going to could die tonight. You know, all these are just ways and means of, of getting in there. And and um, touching that, and also of course that hand needs to come out, doesn't it? The, what I call the dana mudra, some way in which we feel we have a way of offering our potencies, ourself, our qualities, you know, somehow. Because if we can't do that, life is, yeah, what's the, what's the point? <laughs> you know, this is, this is not, you know. It's not going to all happen inside this thing. It happens when the inside and the outside can meet with some harmony and some fruition and some clarity. So this is why, you know, solitary meditation alone has its limitations. It's tremendous benefits, its limitations. And of course, the, the, you know, the life model is Sangha. 
which means community, which means sung, sung literally means together, that which is assembled, that which is brung together. It's not individual. Sangha is, is group and a specific kind of, of grouping of human, of people. Mm. And so we need to just bear in mind there are many ways in which people can live this, their lives in, in the world with themselves, with each other, but it always involves other people sooner or later. You know, to get born, to be brought up, to learn, to see models, to be guided, to be friends, that something that people we can give to or offer to share with, and then people will bury us. When <laughs> it's all over, because <laughs> you don't want his body just lying around rotting. In the <laughs> Somebody's got to tidy it up when you break up, you know. So we're very much, in many senses, kind of in a, in a mutual environment. In often in social cultures that don't really respect that, um, the mutuality of it tends to be, um, well, somewhat exploited, exploitation, transaction, um, you know, rather than real mutual meeting. Tends to be higher, lower, uh, and whether it's financial, gender, racial, national, those those boundaries exist, and they limit us, and they hurt us. They limit us, and they they cause us harm. So the quality, and you know, personally, of course, we we can't really completely meet because. We are differentiated. We are marked by our own karma. On a transpersonal level, we almost can't help but meet because the jitta is resonant. It means we are affected by each other. We are moved by each other. We are frightened of each other. We are inspired by each other. We are warmed by each other. We are hurt by each other. you know, it can't help but do that on some level. Now, we can bury it, of course, to a certain degree, but that doesn't solve the issue either, because you end up living a buried life. So, very important to sense the quality of what's called spiritual friendship as the underlying theme of, of life, of collective interrelational life. Spiritual friendship, again, is a translation of Kalyana, Kalyan Mita. Mita is his associates, companions, friends, you could say. And Kalyana is a very beautiful word, meaning a number of things. It means the, the true, the good, the beautiful, roughly speaking. So it has different resonances, but certainly has a quality of beauty, that which we feel subjectively touched by and resonate with. I think that's a, it's a really helpful reference point, actually, because we can think things are important, necessary, purposeful, and maybe we look for those things. Do you look for the beautiful? What's a beautiful thing to do? Yeah, and that, you know, uh, kindness is beautiful, isn't it? It doesn't always solve things, um, but it's beautiful just to feel that. 
quality running through. So the spiritual friend or the Kalyanamita embodies these uh, or holds these qualities, these potentials. And if we, uh, as we live in the personal world of being with other people and doing things and so on, we live in a personal world, this is how the citta can operate in the personal world without getting uh, buried or um, getting getting, uh, contaminated. Because of course when we enter citta, it's not just the lovely stuff we enter, we also enter its its confusion, its pain, its woundedness, its its, uh, off balance and uh, we're trying to set that straight. Now as the the Buddha said, there's there's really for someone who fully enters the Dhamma, there are four essentials. One is to hear the true Dhamma, one is to practice in line with the true Dhamma, one is to cultivate Yoni Somanisikara, deep attention, yeah, interesting. And the other is Kalyanamita. So those are the four requirements, the four. To hear the true Dhamma, to practice in accordance with that, to cultivate deep attention, and to live or experience or be in touch with Kalyanamita. So you you can't really expect to, to really enter the stream without those four. And if you want to break it down, where do you get your true Dhamma from? Kali, you know, uh, from deep attention and from Kalyanamita, right? Where do you learn how to practice that true Dhamma? From your own deep attention and Kalyanamita. So in a way you can say it on the, on the, just the, the, uh, you know, true Dhamma is, say, immaterial but on the uh, like theoretical we can see that in a book and so forth but the living examples have to be your own living here and now deep attention and companionship with others who manifest that so you're getting it mirrored you know it's like you're checking in you're mirroring is that working how's that could you give me some feedback on that or even just what do I see in you that inspires or encourages or strengthens or comforts? You know, even if we don't speak it, we, we, we at least model it for each other. And that's, uh, maybe that sounds like a big thing. Uh, if you want to, you know, if you get it at the absolutely perfect standard, who's really capable of that? Perhaps 100% all the time, maybe not. But if we're getting up there into the into the fifty percent, this is pretty good, you know. <laughs> we can hold it because the chances are, if we live, to, if we have communion with each other, then you know, when I'm going out, and somebody else's fifty percent is going to be kicking in. <laughs> the chance they were all out at the same time is not that great. That's that's the theory of Sangha, you know. <laughs> It's not like you're all hitting zero at the same time. <laughs> so there's a chance that somebody's going to hit the right note, and everybody else will say, oh, oh yeah, right, you know, <laughs> and start to, you know, orient, orient, and reform around that. And of course, when you get uh, notable examples like uh, Ajahn Chah, for example, is someone who could could hold that and be that when other people are going crazy and 
losing it, just maintain that, and gradually the chitta would would sense that. And, oh, oh, right. This isn't somebody who's operating through greed, hatred, fear, and delusion. Oh, oh, oh that's that's not working. This is someone who's coming from groundedness, compassion, steadiness, and discernment. Oh, you know, and then you come out. Those who can be trained will come out. So it's it's a it's a profound um, potential that we can hold, and so part of one's, you know, dana mudra is to, you know, without just try to use one's deep attention to access those qualities of that which is calm, grounded, that which is compassionate, that which is discerning. Yeah, and you know, hold that for oneself, but also because the chitta is transpersonal, it's going to affect others. And those who can pick it up will pick it up, and most people will pick up some of it. You know, you don't really have to even explain that much. Just most people who have the potency to pause and listen will pick that up. So you know. And that will actually help each of you to to acknowledge your own qualities. Because you, you know, as we model it, as we resonate, it brings out, out that brings us out, brings it out in each of us. So this is the you know fundamental quality there, and. Um, you know, it's also to trust that it, it is going to come at a very fundamental, even non, non-verbal level. So though we may in fact be profoundly moved by people's, you know, verbal skills and ability to articulate Dhamma, that's, that's two or three levels up. You know, at the ground level there's something perhaps even more universal and more profound and not even really Buddhist it's just you know so I was just reflecting um, what it, what it's about I was recollecting a little while ago because I, I just I was in South Africa before then before this and um, I've been there a number of times and once I, I read a, an account of, a, of a, an encounter between a woman, she was a she was a Oza woman. That's this black from one of the one of the tri- one of the nations or the tribes who lived in South Africa, and she was uh, a psychologist at a university, and so she was um, doing some field work. And she want and there'd been this other a, a man who required eventually became quite famous. And his name was Eugene de Cook. And he had been employed by the state. So every morning his kids would see Dad go off to work with his little case. And in the evening Dad would come back again. You know, things, you know, and so forth. And finish his day's work. They didn't know what he did. He worked for the government somewhere. And he'd, you know, he'd go off to work and come back again. So on, but he was actually the leader of a death squad, 
um, who commando squad whose job was to to assassinate uh, ANC activists. So there's this kind of secret or semi-secret war going on between the state and the ANC, which was the leading uh, black resistance movement headed by Mandela, Nelson Mandela. So he'd personally assassinated and, and caused the assassination of, of quite a number of people. So he was, he was put in jail for an indefinite period of time. And he's been released since. Um, so he was in jail, and this uh, woman, uh, Pamela Gaborda Medikizela, I believe her name was, and so she was. She was a psychologist. She wanted to understand how how's this. How do you how do you do that? How does your mind work to do that? You know, that you can just be, you know, father going to work, compartmentalize, go off, wipe out a few people, <laughs> come back home again. Hi, kids, what's for dinner? <laughs> how do you how do you structure that in? You know. So she was just really interested in you know, just a human being how. You know, how does that happen? So she arranged to go and interview this 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 uh, person in jail, Eugene in jail. He'd been in jail for a number of years. So you know, she they would bring him out to an interview room. There'd be a guard standing there, and she'd just sit, sit down and talk to him. You know, take notes. So you can just imagine, you know, this white guy who'd been killing people who looked like her. <laughs> You know, and naturally, all that, and so she was just taking notes and listening, listening. What's it about? How does it happen? And just that sense of, you know, empathy or tuning in. Just want to know what's happening in your heart with that. How you, how you, how that happens for you. At a certain point, you just start to shake. His hands shook and his body started shaking because all this, as he came out of his box, as it were, of his compartmentalization, just started to shake. And she reached over with her hand and just held his hand, put her hand on his hand, just held his hand. And you could feel this shaking and gradually his body normalized. You know, came out of that, and so just imagine the the picture. You know, there's this white male hand and this female black hand together, feeling the shock of violence. You know, and she's you know she wasn't saying anything, just holding his hand and feeling the sense of all that, the resonances of that. The guilt, the regret, the violence, all that all it does to a, to a human heart. And holding it. Till it passed through. Now that's uh, a base level of Kalyanamita. <laughs> so the fundamental quality of that, he wasn't... She wasn't trying to fix anything, change anything, say what he should be, um, you know, ask for a confession. She was just maintaining 
embodied presence that could be felt and discerned in the presence of something that's actually really horrifying you know, the ability for human beings to assassinate people they don't even know have got no personal just, just the coldness of it and so just fundamental quality they're just to touch that touch the very human inhumanity that we can experience yeah. the angularity the conceptualization these are my enemies forget about them as being people with sons or daughters or whatever I'm not saying this wasn't one way by any means it was two way Every you know it's not that they were all bad and the other guys were all good. It's everyone's fighting for principles. <laughs> yeah. But where are principles? And how do those principles really connect to somewhere valid in the heart? Or are they just, you know, dogmas and beliefs? So... Yeah. The sense of just bear, bearing witness to and, and being grounded in the presence of the inhuman human. In a, in a very gross example there. So that to me says the first touch. And interestingly there again the, the, the connection is there with literally tactile. Just hand on hand feeling the touch sense something about that because the touch sense is immediately it touches you you touch it there's no separation there's no standing back there's no separation but at the same time she's not going in there you know into what he's experiencing she's just standing at the edge of it touching it at the edge of it not you know, I'm so sorry for how you're feeling, or never mind, we will have a bad day, or something. <laughs> or, you know, or you were just doing your job, and no, I wasn't explaining it, you know, anything like that. Just, you, you know, you just want to wake the person's jitter to do its own process. And the jitter just needs that sense of support, which is the fundamental quality of. Kalyanamita, and in fact of deep attention. These two are actually mirror images of each other. They both represent the same thing, the same fundamental faculty. That is, it's a sense of what's really, really the bit here. You know, beneath all the stories, beneath the fudging or the ideals or the principles or the he did this and they did that and we have you know, beneath all that what's the t- where's the where's the bit you can touch mm. that, that isn't just an idea you know there's only one piece you can touch the rest of it just slides off you know? this is the quality of i'm saying you only saw many sikara deep attention get through the script to some of the places where it's shaky trembling actually it could be lovely shake it could be joyful trembling trembling with happiness with warmth with heartfulness and so forth it's also trembling anukampa is the word 
trembling with a sense of empathy for the suffering that we generate through our papancha, through our absenting ourselves from heart from our absenting ourselves from heart uh, an action that we find ourselves inducted into or seduced into or dogmatized into or frightened into or tempted into and this will make you something you know you have to do this everybody else does it those kind of messages So this is the dehumaning of the human. And to coming to, to, to the occasions, of course, when we recognize somehow we, we do, this mechanism is, is in us. This distinct possibility is here for us. You know, the absence of friendliness towards oneself, for example, is the dehumaning of the human. You can only see yourself as an object of criticism, judgment, good, bad, success, failure. Mm. Only as an object. The subject has been lost because the subject is jitta. Mm. So, uh, you know, the sense of the Kalyanamita helps perhaps by just holding bearing presence in a definitely felt, definitely sensed, definitely present, but that is it. It's somehow the minimalism of it is the bit that we, we need to have confidence in. You know, until there is that you know, real restraint and minimalism just to basically hold presence and wait. And so this is, you know, part of the whole pausing process and the and the spaciousness uh, and perhaps in some of our uh, sharing sessions i might have encouraged that or i might have not encouraged it enough but the idea is that when we're sharing one person speaks the rest of us just hold presence and we don't even need to know or remember or make sense of what's being said it just doesn't matter we're just there to hold presence to allow a person to feel their jitta is being touched because without it without some sense of something that that resounds you don't get it and the resounding isn't another noise it's just that sound coming back to you the sound of your voice coming back to you the sound of your the feel of your emotion coming back to you not anybody else's being added to it, however well-meaning they are. That's, that's not the primary thing. The, the beauty and the humility of this is that, in fact, you know, we, what we can add to another is secondary. The first thing that we have to establish is just that primary resonance. Otherwise, we lecture each other. You know, and what does that feel like? Here I am, in class again, being reminded how stupid I am. <laughs> Can't get together. And, you know, teaching situations can have that quality in them. And I, I you know, and I, I uh, 
apologize for any of that. So, you know, just the power of grounded presence. And other people can help us be that grounded presence. When we actually, when we don't have an answer, we don't know what to say, and we, but we don't get flustered and start going off into our heads. We just maintain grounded presence. And, <coughs> Because we act, our jitters act as resonators for each other. That that's what they do. Um, and you know, anything you put onto that, that's extra. And that the maybe that may be the secondary thing. So just recognizing this in terms of how you can be with another, and also how you are with yourself. It's the same process. I, I imagine that most of us when we touch difficulties or we go into what can I do pretty quickly what's the right response and we look in the in the toolbox for the particular thing that we should try to a bit more meta a bit more clarity more attention more efforts needed more focus is needed generally more is needed isn't it what about less less is needed (laughs) you know just just hold that back so yeah before so you actually establish the ground so the jitta will come out which it does when there's primary resonance it, it comes out it feels safe it feels held it feels shared and that's the fundamental thing then in that possibility ah, and now what was needed now not what all these great ideas I have, but what does this need now? And it might not need very much at all. It might just need that. And it sort of starts to sort itself out. Because we have wisdom. It's a function of jitta. It's something we are endowed with the ability to discern, to sense, to assess, to feel difference between stress and non-stress, between skillful and unskillful. You know, we know the most important things that chitta knows, but it gets overridden with all the secondary information. So cultivating that, helping each other to cultivate that, this is one of the primary functions of of spiritual friendship and of deep attention. In bearing with oneself and in bearing with others and in bearing in bearing with what comes up in that in that shared experience of being with other people, another very uh, important perhaps secondary quality, again it may come quite naturally once one has established proper ground, is this is not a person, this is a resonance. This is the resonance of fear. This is the resonance of regret. This is resonance of aversion that's happening. It's not a person. 
and there isn't a person who's going to fix it either. So truly in terms of citta, both in one in terms of handling oneself and with handling others, it's it's recognizing you're dealing with citta, not with persons, including this person. This person, in a way, is beyond redemption. <laughs> it's that's putting it crudely, but you know, it it, <laughs> it, it it's just this, you know, it, it it's limited, and and it it's limited. It can't, you know, it's limited. But jitta is not limited. What does it have to be limited? Jitta is measureless, the measureless mind. There's no edges to it, naturally. <coughs> so, isn't it, so it's not really a person talking to a person, even though that's the way it looks, and indeed there's a personal voice, and a personal tone, and a personal nuance. And that, that carries something, because the personal, in this sense, is the specific rather than the theoretical. That's its particular quality that it contributes. This is not just the script, the book, the story, the theory. This is specific, with a particular tonality, inflection. That's that's its role, because that gives that specific authenticity. You know? And certainly in, in deep attention, as you're experiencing what your own chitta is, what this chitta is doing. You may say, oh, here's aversion, here's worry, here's doubt. Yeah, that's true, maybe, time, time, is spaciousness. And it's true, it's not self. And yet, it must be sensed and held, and particularly as you do that, you're probably going to find specific personal memories or tonalities arise that that's that's part of it it reminds me of when i was small it remind it makes me feel you know small or squashed or out in the cold or something there's a poignant quality to it that's the particular way in which in karmic terms that universal quality of worry or fear or anxiety has happened. So the conditioned is specific. You know, the elements, it's like it's like you're cooking a meal. The elements may be, you know, cucumber and legumes and so forth. But the specific mix that makes it right, this one, is, you could say it's personal or it's karmic specific. And part of the way in which practice can be surprisingly elusive is sometimes we get the generic universal topics which are, you know, definitely valid. Here's hatred, here's ill will, here's worry, here's doubt, here's regret, here's, you know, so on. Yeah, that's all there. Uh, but then to really handle it, it's got to be how this feels specifically. And when we're using body, 
that's helpful because the body, your body, is very specific. Yeah. And it's not just specific from the outside, you don't look like anybody else, really, when it comes down to details. But even as it's felt, you know, of course you can't know what other people's bodies feel like, but you recognize, somebody recognizes they don't actually have any awareness of their feet. Well, the person hasn't got any feet, you know. <laughs> they look like it, but it, it doesn't happen down there. You know, or a person feels themselves really over in their right shoulder as a big, strong piece and there's nothing much happening down the left side so there's these specific qualities to the embodiment experience whether it's warm or cold or sharp or tight whether a person feels very big or spacious or vacuous or frozen you know and it can keep changing also i'm always amazed that you know i look around and you know people look really steady and calm and you look all right to me from the outside, basically. But then this person, you know, got this incredible searing quality down their left side, or it's all stuck in their gut somewhere, and you, you kind of get the resonances of, whoa, you know, this one's got a knotty, lumpy, gooey bits all over it. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone is different. And so this in a way it's kind of clean because sometimes when you enter the specifics of the mental realm it's so poignant and reactive that it's very difficult to stay with a memory without she was and I never and they didn't get this and so and so did this to me without it going into stories. That's, I mean you can do it but it takes a little, the body really helps because there's no story in that one per se. And just so entering into the way that the karmic configurations, specific karmic configurations have landed and started to embody you, that, that's, uh, that's helpful. I mean, it's always person-specific, even though the manifestations of the transpersonal come into a specific form. Right? And indeed, as you come into some of those areas, you may feel, wow, there's the sadness. Oh, there's the pressure. There's the, you know, something wrong with me experience. Ah, oh, and then perhaps even a, a memory comes out of that. But so embodiment does get to the, the center of it, even though it's nonverbal and somewhat mysterious. Of course, you know, it may be very well that you you do look into memories and what's affected there, but it, it's so slippery and so vast that the body will, will almost tell you the traces as they're felt. Again, because if we go into it mentally, we so often give it names like anger or guilt or regret. And once you use words like that, there's only one message. Get rid of this thing. Yeah. It shouldn't be. There's something wrong with me. Get rid of it. Yeah. So even using the words can be problematic. And that's kind of what we do when we go into the mental. I've got so much problem with ill will. Once you say that, you know. 
what do you want to do? You say, oh yeah, may my ill will be happy, may it be well. No, you don't. You want to get the thing out. There's something wrong with me. I shouldn't experience this. And that's that's the and then bang, you're up in your head again. <laughs> yeah. So when you touch, which is what the embodied qualities, the embodied practice can do, you just touch that tight area. You don't need to name it even, apart from something like tight or tender or doesn't want to be touched or dense or just just there and minimalism there feeling the feeling is a feeling feeling the feeling is a feeling sensing the body in the body sensing the body in its own terms rather than in conceptual terms knowing the body in the body's terms and what does it need? There's the gesture of, of compassion. What does this peace, this embodied peace, what does it want to do? How would it feel freshness or how would it move? And, you know, it can be just, just like that. It's very resonant and somewhat Mysterious. This is this is that that way of practice, and um, so you're doing this. So what do you do? You stand on the edge of. Don't go into. It's another uh, uh, bit of a fallacy, really. That the best way to 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 investigate something is to go right into it. Well, mm, best way to untie a knot is to come to the tightest part of it you can and just pick away at it. Now the best way to undo a knot is to go to the softest place and start teasing it and it begins to unravel. So there's a sort of place of attention. Placing attention at the right distance in the right tone. This is the attention just like someone touching a hand and not going into the heart heart then comes out to that place so often meditators will tend to either zing right in to stuff and just run it round one more time round the middle a few more times and come out the end feeling somewhat woozy or tired or more uptight or just zone out altogether because it's too difficult to be with so we can go into these two extremes somewhere in the middle is the place of you know kind of minimalist resonance so this is kind of trying to wrap some things some qualities up so it's not remember so first of all the groundedness the safety Safety means no intrusion, uh, no obstructions, all the time in the world. Mm. Second is sensing the resonance and just putting the personal picture to one side and even a personal response to one side. When I say personal response, I mean the learnt person, the acquired person. And then as a kind of refinement, perhaps a 
slight counterbalance of that going to the specific so in a way it's in, it's very subjective but it's not personal makes sense how is this happening right now in this moment in this body and again the body has a very helpful base for specific but but not personal because it when I come into there it doesn't seem like me at all in my learnt socialized social person and this again for meditators or for people in general is a big issue because we we tend to we can very easily enter this place from the social person with even a social socialized buddhist person with their good ideas true we come in there okay roll up the old sleeves get in there sort this baby out yeah. <laughs> whammo you know doesn't work it's, uh, there's there's this there's the humility of it that that know-it-all person <laughs> how who perhaps he does know a huge amount still has to take drop take their clothes off in a way take their hat off and just be there in, in that simplicity and this I see definitely you know sort of like in that example I gave you know the woman was at the point where it's most helpful she was not a psychologist she was not a criminologist she was not an, an analyst an analyst she was not a member of a of a you know traumatized people she was just a human being and all the other stuff came off and i think perhaps in some curious way his predicament helped her to just go into the fundamental humanity rather than the well you're a bad guy and you're getting what you deserve <laughs> yeah. so this really is very precious and uh you yeah. This is perhaps the piece that we might be able to take away. That's the why I'm so um, enthusiastic, you know, about um, Dharma practice and really just encouraging people to understand the compartments that we necessarily create in order to potentize, but recognizing also, you know compartments any compartment has its limitations the meditation compartment the retreat compartment has its limitations yeah and naturally we we have to move out of those but what you don't move out of is embodiment what you don't move out of is heart and even if you think you moved out of it you actually haven't you just you've, you've stopped resonating with it and it's very easy, it's very forgiving, you can come back there in a moment, in 10 seconds you can come back there. It's never that far away, that hand is always ready to be shaken if you give yourself the moment to do so. When, we cut, when we're forgetting to do it ourselves, this is when the spiritual friend is so helpful, just to, oh, well, yeah, but what's happening? How is that? 
you don't even have to say. So, you know, this is our resource, really. I know there's 50 of you in the room. I imagine you live in different towns, but cities, but the more you can, you know, threes and fours, fives and sixes, weekend now and then, you know, just meeting spiritual friends and seeing, certainly in this country, a lot of Dharma communities there, uh, trying and, you know, succeeding and failing, but, you know, this is this is the human journey. So very strong encouragement to to pick up that 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 culture, that mode for your welfare and also for the welfare of others. The more that this can happen, the more it's gonna have some effect on the mainstream. So I'll pause there for today.